I'm going to read to you this whole chapter, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 39. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and so do, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And, if, and you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes 
in the name of the Lord. Now, we won't be able to cover all of this tonight. We're only going to be probably able to cover half of it. But we're going to break it down into little sections and little chunks and just pull the meat that's out, out here out of it and, and unpack it, as, as I like to say sometimes as well. But it obviously, hopefully you caught on that Jesus kind of, I don't even want to use the word rant, but he definitely got on his soapbox here for a little bit, did he not? And he had quite a, quite a bit to say. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start to kind of take a look at what's here and allow God to teach us from it. In these verses, verses 1 through 3, let me remind you of verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, he said, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. In these verses, Jesus is telling them to listen to what the Pharisees say, since they teach the law of Moses. But he warns them not to live the way and to act the way that the Pharisees do. And so I want to talk to you about real quickly is your responsibility today as people who are being taught by preachers and teachers and spiritual leaders, you need to learn the balance of respecting those in authority over you in the church, but also to keep in mind that you're not to become a follower of man. There's a balance that we need to learn, and we have a tendency in Christendom to get into the ditches, as I was talking to some men about today at lunchtime. We, we, we become followers of a certain individual, and man, that's the guy that I love his teaching, and I follow what he has to say. The Bible says don't do that. You're going to see that as we get to what Jesus had to say about not calling anyone on earth father. Yet at the same time, we get others who think that they can just disrespect the position that God has given the leaders in the church. Let me remind you of what the Bible says about respecting those. Could someone go and get the back door for someone that's at the back door here? Thank you very much. Uh, go ahead, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verses 12 and 13. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 12 and 13, it says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are what? What's that next word? Over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Look closely. The scripture says that there are going to be those in the church who have been given authority to lead and to preach and to teach. And we're to respect those who have authority over us in the church. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I don't respect anyone. I follow the Lord. Well, that's great. But he's designed authority in the church. And you need to learn the balance of respecting the position and the role that God's given this person, yet not become a follower of that person. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the scripture, again, is very, very clear that we're to have a respect for the role that God has given certain people in the church in authority over us. Yet, don't become followers of of men. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 7, and then we'll jump to verses 18 through 23. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, in, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, you, for you weren't ready for it. 
And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, well, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Well, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So he who plants and he who waters, is neither he nor who plants nor he who waters, is anything but only God who gives the growth. Jump down to verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ. Christ's and Christ is God's. Listen to what he's saying. He says to the Jews, he said, listen, you should listen to what the Pharisees say and teach because they sit in Moses' seat. They've been given a role and they're to teach the law of God. Don't live like they live, though. And as you're about to see, they wouldn't just teach the law of God. They would then add to it. They would add rules and regulations. And the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, not to go beyond what is written. And so understand that there's a balance. There's a dance we have to have that understands that God has given authority and leadership in the church. Those are going to teach and preach and are going to be over us. And we need to respect them because of that position. By the way, I was preaching on this years ago in a church in New Orleans. And when the sermon was over, I was back in the foyer talking to people. And this guy walks up to me and he says, respect is earned. I said, hang on for a second, you need to sit down, because i got to preach this whole sermon all over again. I said, did I show you a scripture anywhere that said that they had to earn your respect, or that you had to respect them because of the role God had given them? Again, show a submission to those who are in authority over you in the church. But don't become followers of men and say, well, I'm just going to do whatever this person does, and I'm just going to follow their teaching and follow their life, there's too many people that are out there doing that. I'm a follower of this, so I love this guy. And boy, this guy's teaching. That's when I really focus on. Be careful, because as much as you may even like me, I'm not perfect. I don't always get it right. I'll be held accountable before God one day for everything that I teach. And I take very seriously everything that I do share with you, that it would come from the scriptures. But I'm flawed. And as Jesus is going to show us, we're not to be having an individual be the person we follow. Let's look at verses 4 through 10. Chapter 23 of Matthew, verses 4 through 10. Talking about the Pharisees, he said, They tie up heavy burdens and hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man, on, no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Actually, I read into verses 11 and 12. We'll get to them in just a second. Now, there's a lot in these verses. We're going to take a little bit of time to kind of pull some stuff out of here. The Pharisees would add specific rules and regulations to the law of God. I hinted at that earlier. I'm going to talk about it some more. And they made obedience to God harder than God ever intended. 
especially since God's law was designed to bring people to God and His mercy and His grace. But the Pharisees, who were supposed to teach who God really was, if He's loving, kind, patient, full of mercy, they made people's burdens harder instead of pointing them to the God who would take their burdens for them. They would say the law of God says that you're to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then they added 300 or more laws as to how to specifically keep the Sabbath holy. I mean, I could have a lot of fun tonight and read to you and share with you some of the stuff they added. It's kind of comical, but they added to it and they made it even harder to keep the law of God by adding to it. By the way, we've talked about this before. I hinted at it. I've talked to you about a few weeks ago. We've done the same thing in the church. We're in Timothy. It talked about women, how they're not to uh, have their beauty come from what they wear and their adornment, but how from, come from the inner beauty that they've been given, this, a gentle spirit and a quiet spirit. And what man did was they added to what the scripture said and said women can't braid their hair, they can't wear jewelry, they can't wear makeup, they can't wear pants and all this stuff. And that was all added when the scripture just simply said that their beauty should come from the Lord within them and their quietness and their gentleness, not from their outward adorning. It wasn't saying that they can't be beautiful on the outside. You heard me say before, this guy went up to the preacher and said, how much makeup should a lady wear? And his answer was, it depends on her face. It's a great answer. You know? But what the Pharisees would do is they would add these heavy burdens, but then they wouldn't help to get them off. What was the point of the law? We've talked about this before. What was the purpose of the law? To show us what? You can't keep it so that you would go to God, correct? And say, I'm in trouble. I need help. The Pharisees were supposed to be pointing people to the Lord. But what they would do is they would say, you want to be right before God? They wouldn't point you to God. They'd point you to who? themselves and say, follow me, do what I do, live like me. But interestingly enough, as Jesus points out in a little bit, and we're going to see it, they would come up with creative ways that they didn't have to fully keep the law that they had heaped on everybody else. But they also did what they did to be seen by who? To be seen by men. They wanted people to notice them. Folks, I'm going to say it to you again. I'm going to say it to you many times throughout the night. A true spiritual leader, a true person that's following the Lord biblically, being used of God the way God's designed leadership in the church to be, will be someone that says, let me point you to Jesus. Let me show you to Jesus. Now we're going to deal with some of this in just a little bit, but go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Think about what Jesus has just said about the Pharisees, how they tie up all these heavy burdens for people. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30? Look what he says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Go to Psalm 55. Go to Psalm 55. Look at verse 22. In Psalm 55, verse 22, it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He'll never pit, permit the righteous to be moved. Go to Isaiah 53. You're in Psalm 55. Go to over to Isaiah 53. Look at verses 4 through 6. Surely He, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, the Bible all through the Old Testament all along had been pointing to Jesus and him taking your burden. Yet the Pharisees would say, well, do you think the law's hard? Now you've got to add to it. And they made it harder and harder. Oh, but then they would also act like they were doing it perfectly when they really weren't. Oh, they would take things like the, the Old Testament laws, and we're not going to go look at them about how the tassels and the fringes on their garments and these types of things that the Old Testament law talked about. But they'd make theirs long and broad, and they would show off to everybody how it looked like they were living a holy and righteous life. By the way, be careful. You and I have a tendency to do the same thing. We wear our best clothes on Sunday, don't we? How are you doing? God's good all the time. All the time, God is good. Yet, is that your attitude the rest of the week? Or are you putting on a show for the people so that you'll look spiritual? Folks, let me just say something to you. Years ago, I heard a preacher preach about uh, Jacob wrestling with God. And how God had to break Jacob and humble him. And in doing so, he touched his hip and put it out of joint. And the Bible says from that point on, he walked with a limp. And this preacher made a very interesting and powerful statement. He said, never, ever trust a preacher who doesn't walk with a limp. In other words, if they're up here saying, I've got it all figured out, I'm doing it, you just follow me, I'm perfect, don't follow that person. I can look you in the eye, my family's sitting right here, thank the Lord they're here. But they can tell you, I'm not perfect. Jim's got flaws. By God's grace, I'm getting closer to Jesus as, as, I, as I get closer to the day that he's going to take me home. But there's still a lot of work left. I walk with a limp, not just because I need a knee replacement, but just because, well, I found an awesome verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's right around, I don't know, verse 17, 18, maybe more, right around there. It says, there's no righteous person on the earth who doesn't sin. I like that. Makes me feel good. I don't like sin. I don't want to sin. And 1 John 3 was written so that we don't sin. But if we do, which we do, because if anybody says they don't sin, they lie and the truth's not in them, we have an advocate with the Father. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? <laughs> Aren't you grateful for Jesus? He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The Pharisees heaped burdens on the people the preachers are supposed to be pointing to how you can get them taken off by the one who's already borne your burdens and will as you walk with him. We also need to be aware of and wary of spiritual leaders who do their ministry for the approval of men. And I've got to be honest with you, that's one of the things I've struggled with over the years in the ministry. When I was a pastor, I wanted everybody to like me. And guess what? They all didn't. But I tried my hardest to make them all like me, make myself miserable. But I wanted the approval of men. That's a problem we all have. We also need to make sure, though, that we're not doing what we do for the approval of people around us. Make sure your motives are pure as well. By the way, you want to know whether or not you're doing what you do for other people's approval? 
How do you react if nobody notices what you just did? Do you get upset that you weren't appreciated for what you did? Husbands, for that one time a month you actually took the trash out without being asked? Did you, did you get upset that they didn't point it out? We all have a tendency like that sometimes. But I want to show you that we've taken the whole do let your left hand know what your right hand's doing to an unbiblical realm. Go to Matthew chapter 5 first. Go to Matthew chapter 5. And look at verses 13 through 16. He said, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So in this passage, are we to hide our good works? No. But we've been taught when you give, you know, sneakily sneak it out of your pocket and don't, don't let anybody see it because you can't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, Jesus said. Does anybody notice that Jesus pointed out the widow's offering? As they were sitting there watching people give their offerings, Jesus pointed out what she had given. So if doing your good works is, don't let anybody see it, that's not what the Bible says at all. We're to be salt, we're to be light, we're to let people see what we do so that they'll glorify God. Oh, are you doing it so people will see it so they'll bring glory to God? Or are you doing it so people will see it so they'll bring glory to you? Go to Matthew chapter 6, look at verses 1 through 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He doesn't say don't practice them before other people. He's just said in chapter 5 to do it before men. But just don't do it to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, don't turn that into, don't let anybody see what you're doing. Don't do it so that people will see it and praise you. There's nothing wrong with having someone see you put money in the offering plate when it's passed. But just make sure you don't do this. You see the difference? It's okay to put it in. I think it actually does some people good to see you put things in the offering plate. You're an encouragement and a testimony to others. That's why I always tell pastors, look, you might give your giving online or whatever, but the church needs to see you put something in the plate sometimes. It's good that way, but don't do it so that they see how good you are. Let's deal with this teaching from Jesus, though, about call no one father on earth. Now, as I've taught you before, if you're going to get a correct interpretation of the scripture, you don't use one verse, you use the whole of scripture. So I'm going to take you on a little journey now to show you some things that seem to contradict what Jesus says, but we're going to put it all together. Paul saw himself, by the way, as a father in the church. You write this down and look at it later on. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. In 1 John 2, verses 12 through 14, John is writing to the men in the church, and he's saying, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men, 
and I write to you little children. He says it two times. I write to you fathers, I write to you young men, I write to you little children. In other words, he understood that there's different levels of maturity in the church, and there are some that he described as fathers in the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the scripture actually says that if anyone's going to serve as a pastor or an elder or an overseer in the church, after having done it in the home, they're ready to lead in the church. They prove that they understand how that leadership in the home works, then they're ready to serve in the church. But the role that God has designed of parents in the church, in the home, is God designed for spiritual authority and leadership in the, in the church as well. I deal with a lot of churches that have leadership, that have elders and pastors, and, and, and I try to help churches move from congregational government to elder-type leadership because it's the biblical model. But I tell them, if you think as elders your job is to be leaders and decision-makers, you you're not qualified. You don't get it. You're to see yourselves as parents. You're to see yourselves as shepherding the flock. You see these people as not people that you're ruling over, but actually people that you have a concern and a heart for like a parent, and you'll see that in Paul's writings. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 9. First Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Actually, I'm going to go to chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 2. We'll just start in, in verse... Yeah, we'll just start in verse 1. There's, I keep looking at it going, well, those verses work too. Let's just go to, go to chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now look at verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil... We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we thank God. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God you re that you received from or heard from us, you accepted it as it was, not the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Here we see all of this all tied together. Paul says, we didn't do it to please man, but when we were there, we were like parents with you. And we were like a father encourages his son. Go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, look at verses 19 through 20. Galatians 4, look at verses 19 to 20. Look what Paul says here. He says, My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. He saw himself as a parent, as a father. Oh, it gets even more clear. Go to Philemon. Look at verse 10 in Philemon. I always wait for someone to say, What chapter? 
And I can then say, you've never read Philemon. It's just one chapter. Philemon, look at verse 10. Look at what he says about Onesimus. He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Wait a minute, didn't Jesus say, don't call anybody on earth father? Yet Paul just called himself a father. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verses 14 through 17. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17, Paul says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, actually in the Greek it says 10,000, countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Now, wait a minute, Jim. This seems to go against everything you've just been talking about, doesn't it? That's why you got to let the whole of Scripture build your doctrine, folks, and let your teaching come from the whole of Scripture, not from a passage here or there. Let me kind of lay this out for you. Just as parents do well when they guide their children to become what God wants them to be, so too pastors do well when they point the ones under their care to Jesus. We've touched on that, but I'm going to remind you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and following, it says in 11 through 16, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And then it talks about how we won't be children anymore, tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching and cunning and crafting of men and their deceitful scheming. But we will all grow up into him, which is the head into Christ. Again, a true spiritual leader will point you to Jesus not to follow them. You say, wait a minute, Jim, I, I, I'm with you. But Paul said, imitate me. Actually, Paul did say imitate him. Let me show you a couple other places. We just saw it here in 1 Corinthians 4. Let me show you another one. Go to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 17. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Go to chapter four. Look at verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So again, Paul's saying, imitate me. Jim, you're not proving your point. You're proving the other point. Again, we're going to use the whole of Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was wanting them to imitate him. But if you look closely, he wanted them to imitate his hunger for Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Go with me now back to Philippians chapter 3. We read verse 17, but I'm going to read to you the context of what he said there in verse 17. Again, beware of anyone that will take a verse and say, well, look at Paul said, do you imitate him? Yeah, sure looks like that. Look at the context. In Philippians chapter 3 in verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me at all, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God 
and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day and of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I was a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own yet, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on who walk according to the example that you have in us. Was he saying, follow me and just do whatever I do? He wasn't saying it that, to that extent. He was saying... Follow me as I follow Christ. You want to you have a model of how to live your life? I want to give you an example in what I do. I hunger for more of Jesus. Don't follow me. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? They're nothing. It's God who gives the growth. And when you put the whole of Scripture together, Paul wasn't saying, hey, you just do what I do and you'll be fine. He was saying, I have a hunger for Jesus and I want to know Jesus more. And if you act like that, you're going to be fine. I want to imitate Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know him better. And I want to get to see him face to face one day. And I look forward to that reward. And if you want something to follow, go for it that way. Paul never wanted people to follow him only. When Jesus says, call no one father on earth, that we should, he's simply saying that we should never follow simply a person as our spiritual guide. That's the Holy Spirit's job, folks. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verses 21 through 23. 1 Corinthians 3, again, written by Paul. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. It says, so let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. In other words, why if you have Christ within you, who's going to lead you and guide you? And Jesus says, it's good for you that I go away because when I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when he comes, he's going to indwell you. He's going to teach you everything. He's going to remind you of what I said. He's going to open up your eyes to the Father's truth. He's going to take from what is mine, make it known to you. It's going to be an awesome relationship. Why, if you have Christ, do you have to be a follower of a man? Jesus said, don't call anybody father on earth. Don't call anybody instructor in the sense of you're my teacher. I follow what you say. Jesus says, don't, don't do that. Oh, respect the position that God has given people, but not to the point where you follow that person. You only have one instructor, and that's who? It's Jesus. And a good spiritual leader will be pointing you to him. 
Paul didn't say, imitate me and ignore Jesus. He said, imitate me as I hunger for more of Jesus. That means you hunger for more of Jesus. Go to John chapter 16. Look at verses 13 through 15. I just quoted some of this in a paraphrased way, but listen to what Jesus said in John 16, 13 through 15. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. He'll declare to you the things that are to come. And he'll glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. I have people ask me questions all the time about the Bible. I got no problem with that. I love it. But a lot of times I'll say, what do you think the scriptures say? I don't want to just be your, you know, rote answerer for you. And you'll say, hey, Jim said this. I'll write that down in the blank. If God's having you wrestle with something, my job is to point you to the scriptures and how to find out for yourself. So a lot of times I'll just say, what do you think God's showing you? What does his word say about this? And I'm not saying don't ask me anymore. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just my role is to teach you how to feed on the word, how to get closer to Christ. That's my job. I don't want you all dependent on me. My nipples will get sore. It came into my head and I had to say it. I'm sorry. See, told you about that limp thing. I'm still broke. My family's now all shaking their head in the front row. Just get that picture out of your head. This, that's what I want you to do. Go to Matthew 23. Go to Matthew 23. That went worldwide, I know. Again, as you're turning to Matthew 23, we'll get verses 11 through 12. Spiritual leaders that we're to listen to are the ones that themselves seek Jesus daily and teach us to do the same. Look at Matthew 23, verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. These two verses have been perfectly modeled for us by Jesus himself. As he humbled himself and submitted himself to the Heavenly Father, even though he was God himself. In John 13, he, after washing their feet, says, you guys call me teacher and Lord. And that's right, because that's what I am. But if I, your master, and your teacher, and your Lord have done this, you should what? Also do that yourselves for each other. He modeled humility. He modeled service. Go to Matthew chapter 20. You're in chapter 23. Just back a couple of chapters to Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them to him and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, to, sorry, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, how even though he was God, did not claim equality with God, something to be grasped, but he took the role of a servant, even though that meant death on a cross. And God exalted him, and God's given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going uh, to confess that he's the Lord, to the glory of the Father. Folks, we have been given this model by Jesus himself when he said, don't exalt yourself. 
As much as I have been given authority in the church that God has given me with my role, I would be wrong to pull it out all the time. Husbands, you are the head of the home. The Bible says so. You're the head of the wife. Wives, you're to submit to your husbands. Husbands are to submit themselves to Christ. But it would be wrong for the husband to always pull out his, I'm the head of the home card. Give it a shot. The guy said, I tried that one day. I haven't seen my wife in two weeks. But the swelling is coming down and I'm starting to see again. You know, listen, here's the deal. Just because God's given you that authority, that doesn't mean you're to exercise it. Isn't that how Paul, remember what he wrote in Philemon? He said, I could order you to take Onesimus back, Philemon, but I don't want it to be done because of that. I had the authority as an apostle to command these things, but I'd rather they come from your heart. Yes, there's authority, but you want that authority to be modeled like Jesus. And how did Jesus exercise his authority? He became a servant to the people that he wanted to follow. Husbands, you want your wife to follow? Don't lord your authority over them. Be an example. Actually, don't take it from me. Listen to... 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 5. Here is again, speaking to the elders, the leaders in the church. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. There's a balance here. I've heard too many people say, well, the Bible says my wife should submit, so wives submit. No, that's not what the Bible actually says. The Greek word submit in that passage there in Ephesians where it says wives submit to your husbands. The Greek word is hypotasso and it actually means a voluntary submission due to a respect for the position the person above you has. So when a husband says you must submit, he's forcing the submission. It's no longer voluntary and it's not hypotasso. Could Jesus have forced himself on everybody? Without question but he took the role of a servant. He allowed them to call him demon-possessed, a Samaritan, not the Messiah. But he did it in love and humility. Go to verses 13 through 15. Go back to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verses 13 through 15. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Oops, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead here. Look at verses 13 through 15, then we'll get to that next section. 13 through 15. It said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you trather, travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell 
as yourselves. Here Jesus points out that the Pharisees were doing the exact opposite of what we have just looked at. They were making disciples of themselves, and in doing so, they were teaching their, their rewritten in, uh, definitions of righteousness and making not only followers of themselves, but also children bound for hell, because as they were going to hell, they were teaching them to follow them on the way to hell. By the way, you know the Bible says very clearly that um, woe unto those who would cause one of these little children to sin. It'd be better for them if a millstone were thrown around their neck and they were thrown into the depths of the sea. Let me just say this to you. Don't be in a hurry to become a spiritual leader. Not many of you seek to be teachers, the Bible says in the book of James, because those who seek to be teachers will be held in higher accountability. I'm just going to say it to you again. I've been reiterating this. Be careful what you put out on the Internet. Christians today are using social media as their chance to preach and to share what they think. Now, I'm not saying don't share truth. No, the Bible's real clear that we are to share what the Scripture has to say. If the salt's lost its saltiness, what good is it? We are the light of the world. But just share what the Scripture says. Don't go beyond what's written. And let the Spirit of God do His work to change hearts. These Pharisees, though, were saying, follow me, do what I do, and you'll be righteous before God. Were the Pharisees righteous before God? No, they were children of hell. But they're twice the children of hell as the Pharisees were because the Pharisees knew that they weren't fully in line with God. I don't know if you know that or not. The Pharisees actually knew that they weren't right with God. But the scripture shows that they cared more about men's approval and men's praise than God's praise. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Go to John chapter 3. Go to John chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Look at that. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Oh, they would publicly in front of everybody say, he's not from God. His work's being done by Beelzebub. But what did John just lit in? He was sitting in on their meetings, by the way. We know you're from God. Go to John chapter 12. Look at verses 42 and 43. John chapter 12, verse 42. It says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it, so that they wouldn't be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here are people that actually knew that he was who he was. By the way, what does Jesus say? If you won't confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my Father in heaven. They were leaders, they knew, they believed, but they're more interested in the praise of man than the praise of God. Go to John 15. Look at verses 22 through 25. John 15, verse 22. Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. 
Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So here Jesus says, they've seen, they've heard, they're guilty now because they know. Go to John 9, back up a couple of chapters to John 9. Look at verses 39 through 41. In John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. In other words, listen closely. The Bible's very clear that everybody hears. Everybody at some point has their eyes opened by God to the truth. Romans 1 says, although they knew God, they did not glorify God. His divine qualities, his eternal nature have been clearly seen through what's been made so that all men are without excuse. He's written his law in their hearts whether they heard the law of God or not. The Bible says everybody knows at some level. And you'll be judged in accordance with how much light God's given you. And that on the day of judgment, you'll be held in. If you've had a lot of light, you'll be held in a lot of accountability. If you've had less light, you'll be held in less accountability. But everybody knows and everybody hears. So the Pharisees, they actually knew that what he was teaching was true. They knew the scriptures, but they chose to blind themselves to it because they wanted the praise of men and they wanted a righteousness of their own. Go to Romans chapter 10. Paul lays it out very clearly. Romans chapter 10. Look at what he says in verses 1 and following. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning the Jews, nation of Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So the Pharisees, they know deep down that he's from God, but they still don't want to go, and they're headed to hell. How did they make their proselytes twice the child of hell that they were? Here were people who had some light, but not as much as the Pharisees had had, and they were being told by their spiritual leaders, you're okay. That's why, by the way, I'm very, very, very cautious if I ever say to somebody, don't worry, you're saved. Now, there are times that it's evidenced and it's clear, and I have no problem saying it. But I don't always throw it around. Because I don't want, as the spiritual leader, to tell somebody, you're going to heaven if they're headed to hell. Whose job is to determine whether or not we're saved or not saved? Jesus's. But unfortunately, these people, they were tuning out the conviction of the Holy Spirit because the spiritual leaders said they were okay. Double indemnity. We get time for the next section of verses. We'll, we'll pick up in verse 23 when we come back. Yes. Sure, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because the manuscripts that the King James was translated from had that verse section added. The earliest manuscripts, which the English Standard Version are translated from, didn't have that. I'm using the English Standard Version. And that's one of the things you'll find if you look at different uh, translations. Go look at which set of manuscripts they translated from. There are the ones that are the earlier, that are closest to the originals. A lot of translations, the newer ones, translate from that. 
I kind of lean in the direction that most likely the ones closest to the originals were probably a little bit more accurate. But you'll never find anything, you'll never find anything in the older manuscripts that contradicts anything in the scriptures. It just brings a little more clarification at times. My, my understanding is, it's probably, as you know, the scriptures were, weren't just written down, they were also verbally passed on. And some of the verbal things that were passed on were added on to in a couple of these places. That's the neat thing about our God. He's so big and so awesome and so sovereign, he, he made sure we have what we have. And those of us who have study Bibles will have a little note that says, by the way, these verses don't exist in the earliest manuscripts. Exactly. Well, you, don't, you have a study Bible? Yeah, but our study Bible has, points out that, it, that, it, that those don't exist in the earliest manuscripts. It talks about how they, they uh, devour widows' houses, correct? Yeah. In the earliest manuscripts, they just don't exist. That, that verse doesn't exist. It's probably true. If Jesus said it, it's true. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, that's a good question. But if those of you, by the way, have an ESV or something like that, maybe even an NIV or whatever in front of you, you'll notice your Bible doesn't have a verse 14. Have you ever noticed that? Verse 14 doesn't even exist. But there'll be a little note. Good question, though. I'm glad you brought that up. Look at verses 16 through 22. We'll close with this, Matthew 23, 16 through 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift of the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. And now Jesus here is pointing out that the Pharisees, just a few, there's a lot, like I told you. We could spend the whole night looking at some of the silly stuff the Pharisees added but he points out just a few of the foolish additions to God's law that they focused on and how they focused on minutia. And they went beyond what was written by God. Actually, the Bible says if you're going to make a vow, keep it. You don't have to say, I swear by anything. You don't have to say, scout's honor. You, you know, if you're known as someone that what you say is true, you never have to say, I really mean it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You say you're going to do it, do it. That's why the Bible says don't make a lot of vows. Because God's going to hold you accountable for what you say. It doesn't say that it's wrong to make a vow. Actually, I could show you vowing in the scripture. There's nothing wrong with you standing in a courtroom and putting your hand on the Bible and say, you know, so help me God. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people say, no, you're not allowed to vow. Jesus said, don't make a vow. No, no, no. He says, um, if you're going to make a vow, you better keep it. That's what the whole of scripture teaches. But what these Pharisees would do is they would say, um, if you swear by the altar, you're not really guilty if you don't do it. But if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, now you're guilty. But let me give you a cool illustration. You might like this one, Ray, because you like to golf with me. I read just recently, in this past week, about a rule in golf. By the way, if you know anything about rules of golf, they're really kind of strict and kind of weird. But there's this rule in golf that you're not allowed to use someone else's equipment in the middle of the round. You have to use yours. You show up with your equipment, your golf balls, whatever. You can't use someone else's equipment unless there's certain variations. So this one guy sees a tee on a par three, a broken tee, and he picks it up and he puts it in the ground and he hits his ball. His partner calls a foul on him. 
because that wasn't your tee. That was somebody else's tee. You used someone else's equipment. That's a two-stroke penalty. A couple holes later, his, the guy that called the foul on him comes to a par three, sees a broken tee on the ground, picks it up, puts it in his pocket for a couple of seconds, says, this is my tee now. Pulls it out of his pocket and puts it in the ground and hits his ball and says, no penalty. I made it mine by putting it in my pocket first. That's what you Pharisee, very much so. That's what the Pharisees would do. And Jesus is just simply saying to them, guys, you think you're being so righteous by getting nitpicky and minutia. We're going to deal with this next week. I'm actually going to talk to you about tithing next week. Get ready. And I'm going to show you that what people have been saying for years, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing and doesn't say we should tithe. I'm going to show you in Matthew 23 it does. Be careful. Be careful when you think you can break it all down into the minutiae. Actually, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says this, don't go beyond what's written. And don't just take one verse and say, well, my Bible says, let the whole of Scripture and the Spirit of God lead you and guide you. And folks, if I'm still learning, I think you hopefully realize you're still learning. And let's humble ourselves and say, the Lord will lead us, the Lord will guide us, and it's not my job to get everybody to see it like I see it. And let's just love each other in this journey of walking with Jesus Christ. Should we respect those who are over us in the Lord? Yes. But by the way, I'd rather you not call me pastor. Just call me Jim. I don't call you Sunday school teacher. I don't call you usher. I don't call you sound man. I don't call you nursery worker. It's just the role that God's given me. Well, Jim, I, I just, I want to have respect for your position. Good. But respect's not just calling me something or giving me a special parking place. You want to get biblical? The double honor that the Bible talks about? It's tied to money. But I'd be going from preaching to meddling and you don't want to go there. So for years, the church has prayed this prayer. Lord, send us a poor, humble preacher. You keep him humble, Lord. We'll keep him poor. I love you. We'll see you next week.